Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the privilege it is to be able to call you Father. We thank you that we know that we are children of the living God. And we know that our God, our Father, speaks to us. Lord, we pray that we would be obedient children this morning and that we'd, be, take, we'd take that time to listen to our Father speak through his word about his Son. Lord, we pray that we would see wonderful things here that encourage us to continue to follow Jesus Christ and to follow our Father in heaven. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've come to this passage in John chapter 6 as we're uh, studying through the book of John together. And last time I preached, we looked at the earlier part of John chapter 6, which is about the feeding of the 5,000. We saw that Jesus did this wonderful thing where he produced a whole lot of bread and fish where there previously wasn't bread and fish. And then he dismisses his disciples when evening comes and they get into a boat and go out on the lake. And we see that in verse 16. I encourage you to have a black church Bible in front of you if you do not have your own there uh, and open it up to page 1056, 1056, John chapter 6. And we'll look at verse 16 through to verse 21. And we see in verse 16 that it reads, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. So Jesus stays behind. If you look at the parallel accounts in other gospels, uh, he goes and he prays, but he's not there with the disciples in the boat. But then a strong wind, we read in verse 18, was blowing and the waters grew rough. It was not an easy journey for these disciples. It was meant to be a short journey for them. But there they are, late into the night. What should have been a quick journey is taking hours. And if you look at the other accounts, we see that it was quite laborious for them to be rowing against the wind and the waves. I'm not one one for sailing, but I understand that it can be very difficult uh, when conditions are like this with great wind and great waves. And it's quite rough for these disciples. And then Jesus comes to them when they're probably very exhausted. They're rowing against this wind and and these waves. And he walks on the water to them. We read in verse 19, When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. Jesus does something miraculous here. He's spoken previously about how he is the Son of God, how people should accept that he is from the Father. And one of the ways we saw in chapter 5 that he shows that he is from the Father is by his miracles. And then he's done this miracle of feeding the 5,000, and now he does this other miracle just for his disciples, where he suspends the law of gravity and walks on the sea, a treacherous sea. He walks out upon it and does this marvellous miracle. And what is the reaction of the disciples? It says there that they were terrified in verse 19. They were terrified of him. And if you read the account in Mark chapter 6, it actually says that they thought he was a ghost. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. They were greatly afraid of this man who was coming out to them, walking on the water. But then Jesus says something to them. What does he say in verse 20? Says he, but he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. It is I, don't be afraid. And then when the disciples hear this, they are willing, it says in verse 21, to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The disciples were standoffish at first, but once he speaks these words of, it is I, don't be afraid, 
They are willing to take him into the boat. They're willing to accept him. And it's interesting that the boat reaches the shore where they were heading immediately. Some people say this is a second miracle that occurs in this instance, that one miracle was walking on the water. The other is that the boat, which was taking so long to get to the destination, suddenly arrives. Now, you may like to talk to me afterwards about that, whether that is indeed a miracle or not, but it is interesting that as soon as they take Jesus into the boat, that they reach their destination. They are able to be relieved of that stress of the wind and the waves. As we look at this passage, we can see something that is helpful for ourselves. We can see that it has a word to speak to us when we are in moments of terror as well. It's very interesting what the disciples were actually scared of. John is careful to tell us that they were scared, they were terrified of Jesus. They weren't terrified, it says nothing in the account here in John's Gospel, that they were terrified of the wind and the waves, which is what I would have been very scared of if I was out sailing in that instance because I know nothing about seas. These were fishermen. They were used to this sea. They knew this area very well. This was where uh, some of them uh, called home, uh, the ports around here. They were used to this sea. What were they terrified of? It tells us that they were terrified of Jesus. It says in verse 19, when they'd rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. They were terrified of the action of Jesus Christ. Not the wind and the waves, but the action of Jesus Christ. And this applies to us in more ways than we might think. Because the actions of Christ often scare us today. What Christ does in our lives often causes us to be quite fearful or even terrified, exceedingly afraid. What is it that Christ does in your life that scares you? Well, anything that you're actually scared of. Because if we understand what the Bible says about Jesus Christ, we understand that his dominion is complete in this world, that he reigns supreme and all things in this world are governed by him. So whatever happens in your life is actually an action of Jesus Christ. He is in control of everything that goes on in your life. And so everything that goes on in your life is an action of Jesus Christ. And some of those actions of Jesus Christ scare us. Does the Bible actually teach this, that God is in, that Jesus is in control of all things? Well, it does in a number of places, and one of the clearest examples of this is Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, it says that God seated him, that's Christ, at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Christ is clearly above all powers, which means that he is in control of everything that happens in this world, including everything that happens in your life. Which means that when you get scared about something, you're actually getting scared about the hand of Christ in your life. What are the actions that Christ may do in your life that terrify you, that upset you, that scare you? What are the things that he brings along, the troubles that he may bring? Well, the life of Job in the Old Testament gives us examples of the actions of God that can rightly terrify us. Job was a very prosperous man. We had a reading from Job chapter 9 before uh, where it speaks about God walking on water. But Job also speaks about, the book of Job speaks about the things that happened to Job 
by God. I invite you to turn with me there now, page 496 of the Black Church Bibles. Page 496, Job chapter 1, and we see that this man Job was incredibly blessed. Job chapter 1, and I'll read from verse 1, which is found on page 496, 496 of the Black Church Bibles. 496, chapter 1, verse 1, we read, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, ten kids, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. All up, he's got 11,000 animals. Now, you may think that you don't want a lot of animals like that, but in that time, uh, that was money. That was as good as money. 11,000. He was incredibly blessed. Ten kids, 11,000 animals, and stacks of servants. And then one day, Job lost everything. Look with me at verse 13 of Job chapter 1. It says, One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said the oxen were ploughing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. We see people come and they take those oxen and those donkeys. And then, verse 16, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. There go the sheep and there go more servants. Verse 17, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. There go camels, there go more servants. And then verse 18, While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. He lost all those possessions, and then he lost all ten children in one day. This kind of event should terrify us. Imagine all that you own, all your children, taken from you in one day. And does Job think that this is some other power has brought this into his life, has done this to him? No. He recognises that this is the Lord's hand. We read in verse 20, At this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I come, came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And then, after that, he loses his health. We see further on, another day comes, and he loses his health. Down with me to verse 7 of Job chapter 2. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. There goes his health. He's lost his kids, he's lost his possessions, and there goes his health. He's sitting there scraping himself, and yet he and his wife recognise this is from the Lord. His wife doesn't have very good advice for him, but she recognises it's from the Lord. We read in verse 9, his wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. She recognises this is a curse from the Lord. And then Job answers, verse 10, he replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God? and not trouble. Job recognises the pain in his life. It upsets him greatly. 
but he also recognises it's from the Lord. This is the hand of God in his life. It scares him, but it is the hand of God. And so when we suffer sharply, we need to recognise that it is God's hand as well, that Christ is actually responsible for all that happens in our lives. Whereas the temptation when something really bad happens in your life is to think that God's sovereignty is somehow limited, that he hasn't been able to prevent suffering in your life, that God's hand is not there, that it must be something else that is responsible for the pain in your life. It's some other human or it's some other evil force, Satan or his demons, that is responsible for the suffering that is going on, or it's some fate, luck, bad luck, coincidence, that things are happening in your life that seem to terrify you. But we must understand that God's sovereignty is complete and utter, and Christ has control of all things in our lives. And so when we experience good and when we experience the awful things in our lives, we need to understand that that is Christ's hand behind it, even when it terrifies us. And then Christ comes to us and says something to help us through such times. What does he say? What does he say to those disciples in John chapter 6? Turn with me again. John chapter 6, page 1056. What does he say in verse 20 of John chapter 6 to his terrified disciples as they look at his action of walking on the water? It says in verse 20 of John chapter 6, but he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. When we are startled at the action of Christ in our lives, Christ comes to us and says, it is I, don't be afraid. It's interesting that he says, it is I. In the Greek, that is a phrase that is often occurs, in, uh, in, particularly in John's Gospel when Jesus speaks, and it is often translated, I am. It is literally, I am. And it can mean, it is I. It's me that's here. But I am also doubles as code for the name of God. When Moses wants to know God's name, God reveals his name as I am. And John loves to pick up on this and show that Jesus said I am in particular context where he was just saying it is I. But also I think there's an underlying meaning that I am God. I am. Don't be afraid. I'm God. Why should you be afraid? And so Jesus is revealing his divinity here to his terrified disciples. He does it by saying, it is I, but he also does it by walking on the water. We read that passage in Job chapter 9 where it says, he that is God alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He is showing his divinity by doing this miracle. And if Jesus is the God who loves you. The disciples should have known this, that Jesus is God and that he loves them and has all power, then they shouldn't be afraid of his actions no matter how terrifying they may appear. And this should be the case for us as well, that no matter how terrified we may be of the actions of Christ in our lives, he knows best and we have to trust that he is I am and not be afraid. Because we know that God loves his people and has made great promises to them, despite the pain and the terror that may come into our lives. He's made that marvellous promise in Romans 8.28 that in all things God works for the purposes, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. 
All things work for our good. And so if we've got great fear in our lives about some event, we've got to know that God has brought that along for our good because we love him and he loves us. He is God. He is the great I am. And so we shouldn't be afraid. We've got to trust that he knows best. We do this often with different people in our lives. My son has actually come to the conclusion this week that vaccinations are a good thing for him. For years, he has has squealed about vaccinations. This last week, I said, time to get a vaccination, Josh. And he said, oh, good, because he knows that even though it's painful to experience that vaccination, it's actually for his good. His father knows best. His father wants him to get vaccinated so that further pain down the track won't come to him. And that's how we have to understand Jesus Christ. When he brings sharp pain into our lives, maybe sharper than a needle going into the arm, sharp pain, we have to trust that Jesus knows best because he is God. He is the I am and we should not be afraid. And so then we can live out our lives in peace. Just as these disciples were willing to take Jesus into the boat and they reached their destination immediately, we can also have that peace if we take Jesus into our life in times of great terror. The famous J.C. Ryle spoke in this way about this passage as well. He says, and when speaking about this passage in one of his uh, expository thoughts volumes, he says, the practical remark has often been made that many of the things which now frighten Christians and fill them with anxiety would cease to frighten them if they would endeavour to see the Lord Jesus in all. Many things that frighten Christians and cause them anxiety would cease to frighten them if they would see the Lord Jesus in all, ordering every providence and overruling everything so that not a hair falls to the ground without him. They are happy who can hear his voice through the thickest clouds and darkness and above the loudest winds and storms saying, it is I, be not afraid. And that has to be the goal for our lives, that we have to see Jesus in everything. And we're not afraid because we know it is Christ's hand. So how do you go about doing that? It's a hard thing to do. To see God's hand immediately in the things that terrify you? Well, one way that you can do this is by practicing seeing God's hand in the little things each day. And I've been trying to do this at least for the last six months, see more and more of God's hand, God's presence in my life, to remind myself frequently of Christ's hand at work in my life, and particularly with the little things that annoy me every day, which you don't think are necessarily what Christ has brought into your life. When the phone rings and interrupts you, remember, it is I. Don't be afraid. I want to interrupt you right now, and that's what my plan is for you right now. And so be peaceful about it. When someone cuts you off in traffic and delays you slightly, that's Christ cutting you off in traffic in one sense and delaying you. He thinks that it's better that you be delayed, and so you don't have to worry. It is I. Don't be afraid. When it rains as you're just leaving the house, It wasn't raining before, but as soon as you leave the house, it starts bucketing down. It is I. Don't be afraid. He's bringing the rain down. I read this great quote from A.W. Pink this week. He says, when we complain about the weather, we are, in reality, murmuring against God. Spurgeon used to say that as well. Every day, it's great weather because it's God's weather. 
It's always good weather. There's never bad weather. We have to remember that Christ's hand is there in the weather. And when it buckets down, that's what Christ wants for you right there and then. And you should recognise his hand. When I get a mild cold, and I think it's going to be a real pain of a week for me, and you may even be able to hear it in my voice now, I've had one this week. What is that? That's Christ's hand. And he says, it is I, don't be afraid. I want you to have a cold this week. See how you go. When a child needs immediate attention, this is for the parents. You just leave the house, you're driving away from the house, and they say, toilet, dad, toilet. Can you hold it? No. And you have to do a block, you have to come back to the house, unload again, someone goes to the toilet. And that annoys you. Remember, it is Christ's hand. And he says, it is I, don't be afraid. He knows what's best for you. He wants you to be delayed by a few minutes to go back and go to the toilet. How many car accidents have you actually avoided by being delayed for a few minutes by some child who wanted to go to the toilet when they should have gone before we left? You don't know what might have happened to you if you hadn't been delayed in that way. And so when you're thinking this is really annoying and frustrating, go, no, it's Christ's hand. He's at work. And the more you do this, the more you have a sense of peace about your day. Things don't frustrate you in the way they did. You go, oh, toilet, okay, let's go around. We'll see what Christ has in store for us. And when something big comes along, you're not as easily afraid because you're so used to practising with the small things that the big things that could really terrify you don't terrify you because you're so used to seeing Christ's hand everywhere that when something like Job happens to you, what happened to Job, you can say with Job that God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You practice with the little things so that you're ready for the big performance, just like a musician practices in his home again and again and again with no one there, no pressure. He's there at his piano playing, 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 playing. Little practices again and again and again and again. And then when the big performance comes at the opera house and he's there and all this pressure is on him, he can go forward without fear because he's practiced it. He knows it so well, this piece, and it's not a problem for him. And that's how we are to be as Christians. We practice with the little things all day long, seeing the hand of Christ again and again and again. Christ is at work in my life. So that when the big performance of trust comes, when God really calls you to trust in him, when something really bad is happening in your life, you've practiced. I know what it means to trust in God. I can trust in him through this. But we shouldn't just practice with the bad things, the things that annoy us. We should practice with the good things as well that God does in our lives. When you get a car parking space right next to the door to the shops, that's the hand of Christ. He's in control of all things, the bad things, but also the good things. When you experience a little bit of sunshine on a cold winter's day that just gets there on that side of the street just as you're walking down it, that's Christ's hand at work, and you should thank him for it. When you see a child's face light up at the fact that a letter came in the mail for them, it's got their name on the letter, and they jump up and down for joy, that's part of Christ's hand at work in your life, giving you little joys that you can delight in. When you put caramel syrup in your coffee and it delights you, that's the hand of Christ. When your taste buds tingle 
if you've got caramel syrup and a bit of cream on top with some of that chocolate sprinkles. That's wonderful, isn't it? And it's the hand of Christ. And you practice through the day seeing all those good things so that when something really good comes along, you don't get terrified. You don't get scared because you're so used to recognising God's hand in all the little good things that the big good things, you think, wow, Christ has really done that for me. What am I speaking of there that could terrify you, that's so marvellous, so good, that it scares you? Well, it's salvation from sin is the ultimate gift from the Lord that should scare us in one sense, that God would do that for me. Charles Wesley in that great hymn speaks of that in one sense. He says, amazing love, how can it be? How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? It's just too marvellous. It terrifies me to consider that God himself would die for me. But Jesus says, it is I, don't be afraid. Don't be terrified. It's me, I'm going to give you salvation from sin. Don't tremble. There's another old American song, an old, I don't know whether we can call it a hymn, but it says, Oh, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? It causes me sometimes to tremble, tremble. And it should, it should terrify us that God himself was crucified for us. It should cause us to tremble. But then Christ comes to us and says, it is I, don't be afraid. I have done that. For you, And if you practice seeing all the good things in your life from Christ's hand, you can embrace the marvellous goodness of his salvation that he grants to his people. So I encourage you this morning, stop being afraid in your life. Don't be terrified. Invite Christ into your boat and you may see that immediately you reach destinations and particularly the destination of peace. If you see Christ's hand again and again in your life, peace can overflow your life. The little frustrations don't annoy you anymore. The big pains that come along, they don't upset you because you know it is I and you shouldn't be afraid. Everything's going to work out. Nothing's that big of a deal in this world ultimately because it's all the hand of Christ. You can actually become, as a Christian, someone who knows such a contentment that you're never frustrated, that you can just go through life knowing that God's got it all in control and you never get worked up about anything. Are you known as a Christian for that? Or do you get easily frustrated about things? If that is the case, then you need to remember the words of Jesus here. It is I, don't be afraid. Don't be terrified like those disciples that God couldn't walk on water. No. Recognise it is him and don't be afraid. And if you're not a Christian and you're here today, I encourage you, be willing to accept Christ today. God himself says here, Jesus says it, but Jesus is God. He says, it is I, don't be afraid. Christ has shown his divinity by walking on water and by controlling your life. Sometimes you write them off as coincidences, that this happens and this happens at the same time, and you go, oh, coincidence. No, it's Christ at work in your life. He has complete dominion over all Christians, but also all unbelievers as well. Christ has shown his divinity in your life. 
So I encourage you, be willing to take Christ into your boat today by repentance and faith. Confess your sin to the Lord. Say you are sorry for rejecting him in the past. And trust that he died that death that you deserve for your sin. And if you do that, I can testify that peace can flow into your life today. You can know that you are right with God today. You can have that peace. You can reach your destination of salvation immediately. Because Christ is the great I am. And he says, don't be afraid. I encourage you, if you've never done it before, come to Christ today. Listen to his voice. Stop being afraid of this world and start to lean on his everlasting arms. Let's come before God now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words of Christ. It is I, don't be afraid. We thank you that he can speak into our lives today. We admit that we are people who love to be afraid, who are fearful of all kinds of things, the terrible tragedies of this world, but also the many mercies, the good things that come along. Lord, help us not to be afraid because we know that Jesus is God and we trust in him and he loves us and we love him and everything will work out for our good. Even the little frustrations that we experience work for our good. The little good things work for our good and then the big, awful frustrations, the pains work for our good. And Lord, we thank you for that marvellous gift, that greatest of all gifts, that greatest goodness of yourself towards us, salvation from sin through Jesus Christ. We pray that this wouldn't terrify us, but we would lovingly come to you and embrace you through Christ, knowing that he has indeed granted us eternal life. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.